Welcome to episode 30 of Behaviorally Speaking, a podcast featuring board-certified behavior analysts, Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. On this episode, they'll talk with their guest, Pasha Bassoon, about how to help kids make and keep friends. And now, here are your hosts, Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi. Hello, and welcome to our 30th episode of Behaviorally Speaking. I'm one of your hosts, Angela Nelson, board-certified behavior analyst and mother of two. And I'm Kristen Bondi, also a board-certified behavior analyst and mother of three. Hey, Angie. How's it going? Oh, it's going. I've got a sick kid home today. So, you know, the drill, the the parent gig. Yeah. Yeah. You got a double duty. I know. Yeah. Luckily, she's at the age now where she could just kind of entertain herself and watch TV and do all that stuff. So my day can kind of continue on. So we've made it out of the, oh no, I need childcare scramble. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm almost there except for my third is an absolute wild animal. So (laughs) anytime, I mean, if I just leave him alone for a second, he's just into something. So it's just, we, I'm not there Mm -hmm. yet, but I, you know, I'd like to be there one day, one day. day. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it. We have a really, we have a guest and we have a really great topic today that comes up Every day when we talk mm-hmm. to parents. Yes. Um, so really the purpose for today, we, you know, we get asked questions from, from families all the time about helping kids make and maintain friendships. How do we make friends? How do we keep friends? Those sort of things. We, we hear that parents are often, uh, you know, concerned about if or when they should kind of jump in and help out and facilitate friendships and kind of social interactions, or if they should take a back seat when it Mm -hmm. comes to these sort of things. So a lot of stuff kind of wrapped up into this topic. Um, We even hear sometimes parents are just worried that their their kids um, might not have the ability to make friends or they don't have the skills to, to do that. So we wanted to come together and we invited one of our colleagues to jump in and, uh, yeah, and kind of talk about this, break it down for us. Yeah, yeah, this is a big one. I'm really excited about this one. I I kind of hold social skills, you know, near and dear to my heart. I don't, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I did my um, thesis topic on social skills. So oh, I I, I, yeah, yeah. So I find it to be really interesting. And so when we talked about doing this one, I was like, yes, this is going to be really good. And and more specifically, like just working with parents and teaching them how to help their kids make friends. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So as you said, we have a special guest, Pasha. Pasha, hello. I don't know if you want to just give us a little intro or I guess the listeners introduce yourself a bit. Yeah, thanks for having me. My my name is Pasha. I've been in this uh, field for uh, 16 years. I'm a director of family and clinical services at uh, Rethink Care. Um, I've worked with uh, children's, teens and adults on the topic of social skills, among other things, uh, in home schools, uh, group homes. Um, and now in, in Rethink Care land, um, I designed a social skills curriculum and led uh, social skills groups uh, in my previous position. So this is uh, one of my big passions uh, in this field. All right. Yeah. So we're, we're so excited to have you. And so let's just get right into some of the questions that we have for you today. I think to start out, I 
I get, and I'm sure Angie gets, and, and probably you, Pasha, you get all the time, many questions surrounding to know when you sh- should support your child, right? Um, so is there a problem? Do I, should I intervene? Should I, you know, h- how involved should I get? And then, of course, parents might sometimes compare their own friendships and maybe how they make friends with their children. And if that doesn't mm-hmm. line up, then they think, oh, maybe there's some challenges here. There's also, I think with parents and when you have multiple kids, you know, you might compare your siblings together. And and I get a lot of parents say to me, well, one child does it this way. Should the other one do it that way? And and really just trying to figure out like what's, what's normal, quote unquote normal, um, when it comes to or typical when it comes to making friends. So we really wanted to start out there. So I guess the the first question for you is how do we define or or how do we understand like what is typical for kids and making friends and then is is there a typical guideline that we're looking for? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I think a lot of uh, parents understandably can fall um, sometimes into the trap of comparing either siblings or comparing their children to other kids on uh, the playground or at their schools. Um, mm-hmm. you, I start with like the broad question is um, to see how does your child feel about their friendships or just friendships in general? Are they happy? Do they seem motivated to play uh, and interact with their peers? Um, Do they refer to their peers and reference positive experiences like fun activities? Or do they associate peers, classmates with negative experiences like being teased or or being, being nervous or something like that? Um, And think of it, any of us have different approaches to friendship. Some of us look back at uh, elementary school, high school, college jobs, and can name a bunch of people we interacted with, but can only identify like a handful of people we still keep in contact with. But others are like in contact with all those people, whether it's Mm -hmm. in person, social media or whatever. Um, But it's just a matter of what level of socialization works for that individual, in this case, your your child. And if that helps them feel like they have a support system they can turn to, uh, and for children and teens, it's someone they can turn to to, to play some video games together, go out uh, to, to a meal or come over for a play date. Um, so while everyone, again, develops differently, um, we generally aim for our kids and teens to have um, some kind of in-person interactions with peers outside of the school or extracurricular setting at least like two to three times a month or so. Um, it's a little bit subjective, but it, the mindset to have is just enough time to ensure that they're fortifying those friendships while also allowing them time to, to be independent and not too dependent on, on those friends, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like how you use the word fortify. I feel like that's a good, that's a good word to describe this. It's sometimes you don't get an opportunity when you're in school to really fortify or kind of substantiate those relationships. And so mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of, you know, kind of aiming generally a couple times a month for for something outside to work on that yeah yeah it's different for like adults like we um have acquaintances we have friends we have best friends um we have family members Mm -hmm. but for kids it's like either friends best friends or just a classmate like their acquaintance is a classmate but we are Mm -hmm. really trying to hone in on the friends like how do we not only associate a it's a kid i see in my class but it's also a friend i can fortify that a friendship with that relationship with and associate them with fun things and not just a person I see in math class or what have you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this kind of this next question goes along with that a little bit. We, you know, a lot of times we hear parents say, you know, if I see 
uh, my kid is having some sort of social challenges, how do I know what's causing it, right? Is there a bigger issue? Are they, is there bullying, anxiety? Are they self-isolating? Or maybe they just don't have this, the skills. They don't know how to approach peers, or maybe mm-hmm. they're not motivated. We see that sometimes too. Kids are not necessarily motivated to go and interact with others for one reason or another. So um, what can parents do to determine the cause of these social challenges? Yeah, I mean, as always uh, goes without saying, if there's a concern about bullying, it's, don't hesitate to go to your child's teacher, principal, support staff. Um, they, some kids can't see it as a little bit of tattletaling, but uh, better safe than sorry. Schools have been thankfully more vigilant yeah. uh, about bullying recent years, but it's still an issue and comes in new form, cyberbullying, uh, mm-hmm. targeted isolation. Um, but aside from that, we, like you said, we need to figure out if uh, your child has the urge to socialize, but hasn't been able to for whatever reason, or if they truly do not want to interact with their peers. Um, so some starting points that I usually uh, uh, advise parents to take are uh, by asking their kids if they can name any peers in their class or an extracurricular. A lot of times kids who self-isolate or play alone don't either remember the names of any peers or even list every single person in their class. Um, and on the other hand, if they're naming like at least one peer in their class, then you can try to d- dive deeper and ask them if they play together, uh, if they can remember what their peers' interests are, which would be great. And that'll tell us whether they're trying to get to know their peers or if they're potentially isolated. Um, you can also try observing a child in, in an environment like a park or a birthday party, where you can see if your child plays on their own, <clears throat> excuse me, the entire time, plays parallel to kids. Uh, and or attempts to interact with peers and reciprocate social interactions if, if there uh, appears going up to your child and trying to play with them. Uh, realistically, a lot of kids will play in each of these manners during unstructured time, but if they're not reciprocating play interactions or isolating themselves, then that might be cause more proactive strategies to try to help support them. Yeah. I like the idea of, you know, what you had said, and and I usually suggest this one a lot for families, is to put them in an environment where you can observe, right? Because a lot of times we rely so much as parents, we rely on social situations from the report of the school. So sometimes we don't even see it. So we're like, does my child make friends? Are they interested Mm -hmm. in making friends? And we're always just we we kind of get the information from the school, but if you can pull pull it out a little bit and maybe do some play dates or you know do any sort of just like unstructured activities with with peers, go to the playground, the park, then you can really see okay where does my child fall? And so like you said, is it that they're not interested in playing with their peers, or is it maybe they don't know how to approach their peers, right? And that can really give you like a nice starting starting ground. You know you know where to where to begin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's tough. You obviously, you're you're both moms. Your your hands are tied in the school setting. We can obviously check in with the teachers to see what's going on, but is it getting your eyes on your children in different settings is going to give you a lot of information. While also being careful to not fall into that comparison trap we talked mm-hmm. about earlier, mm-hmm. that we're not yeah. inferring too many things, but we'll delve more into that in a bit in a couple right. of minutes, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So moving into a different, kind of a little bit of a different direction, but maybe related. Another question that I get all the time, (laughs) I think weekly from parents and, um, you know, even myself as a parent trying to to determine um, how far should I push my child when it comes to social skills, right? So how, how do, how much do we intervene? Like we said in the beginning, but also if I know that this is, might be outside of my child's comfort zone, like, do I push them to do it because I know it's good for them or, you know, how do we find that balance? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, good question. I get this a lot as well. And and it's a tough line to toe. And um, behaviorally speaking, oh, see, see what I did there? Hey, I love hey. it. Clever. <laughs> um, they, uh, our kids haven't found um, the reinforcing value in social interactions. And in some cases, yeah. their behaviors have outright been punished because their attempts to interact have been rejected. So they might think like, why should I even bother? I tried to play with that kid. They said no. Uh, it always mm-hmm. broke my heart when I used to lead social skills groups and a child would tell me, Mr. Posh, I followed all the steps. I found someone I wanted to play with. I waited for a pause in the game. And then I asked, can I play? And they said no. And I'm like, why? Why did they say no? You did everything mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in terms of pushing uh, your ch- uh, your children, uh, get them, getting them outside their comfort zone, trust your parental gut instinct because we definitely don't want to make social interactions scarier than they already might seem, let alone make mm-hmm. them seem like homework, like, you need yeah. to make a friend. Um, so if they're expressing that they would like to uh, play alone for a period of time, we want to honor that kind of self-advocacy. But at the same time, we do want to try to push our kids to the next level when it comes to socializing. Uh, that mindset to have is that we know that making friends has been a challenge for them in one way or the other. So it's our job to help show our kids that social interactions can be fun rather than a chore. Uh, and we want to involve them in the conversation as much as we can when it comes to things like planning play dates, uh, having conversations. So they're not seeing it as mom, dad, teacher, whoever are telling you, this is why you need to make friends, but let's talk to them to see what the barriers are and also how we can help support them with with different strategies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of a good balance. It's And it's true, it might already be scary and we don't want it to become a chore or homework, but yeah, it sounds like kind of, you know, in, involving them in the process and kind of pushing them gently might be a, a, a a good balance strategy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is, if we get into this later, but one of the things that I, I usually do when I'm coaching a parent on this, I might say something like, ask your child to define like who is their perfect friend. Right. And and I don't Mm -hmm. like to use the word perfect that often, but if they were to say like, this is my ideal friend, what would that be? And what does that look like? And then that might help them when they're thinking about, well, who can I be friends with then? If I, you know, I walk into my class and I look at all these people, like, what am I looking for? And then, and then kind of going with what Pasha said, okay, now how do I do that? Right. How do I, I found the person now, how do Mm -hmm. I actually go up and interact with that person? Yeah. I find that too when I talk to my kids about bullying or they they always come and tell me everything that happened and this person said that and that person was crying and you know they just get all mm-hmm. up in the the social drama <laughs> and so we talk about what is a friend what makes a good friend and I yeah. think that um that I think we probably talked about that on another podcast as opposed to me saying you shouldn't hang out with that person that person's yes. mean it's more mm-hmm. like well let's let's kind of decide for ourselves what makes a a person um somebody that, or what are the characteristics of somebody that you would want to hang out with and that you'd want to gravitate mm-hmm. towards. So, right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Pasha, we have another question for you. And this also comes up quite a bit from, from family. So we were wondering if we can kind of get some ways, um, for parents listening, um, where they might be able to support their kids if they feel like they need to jump in. Right. So how can we coach parents to provide some support for initiating positive social interactions, for example. Yeah, definitely. I mean, going back to the idea of trying to make those social interactions fun and preferred, we definitely want to start with baby steps. I've, uh, I, as I'm sure you have uh, have heard over the years, parents reporting that they tried taking their kids to the park, birthday parties, whatever mm-hmm. classes, and are concerned that their kids didn't make friends at those events in the moment. 
Mm-hmm. And while all those activities should be encouraged, they're amazing, um, like I mentioned earlier, but they're not exactly setting them up for success, especially if they're already having a hard time with making friends. Um, and frankly, people in general, those large group settings can be intimidating. Some mm-hmm. adults can enter a social setting like a party or a new job or a class and mingle with everyone in the room. Uh, they see those settings as an opportunity to interact with others, use those little icebreakers, even when they don't know anyone in the room. And others walk into those situations and might be like wallflowers They until yeah. they see someone they know or just kind of wait it out until it's time to leave. Uh, guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, so or like avoid those adults, times yeah, at all costs, yeah, right? Or I just go. Like, oh, yeah. That's right. for sure. COVID land aside, uh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> we kind of have those scripts almost, like those canned icebreakers, like, How's your weekend? What you drinking? Um, why do we have another meeting today? So um, <laughs> that's adults. Like imagine mm-hmm. for kids and teens who already have uh, challenges with that socialization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we expect them to jump into scenarios and can go mingle immediately. Um, so, so that being said, our first baby step, which I usually advise parents to start with, will be to work with the, your kids and teens to identify some specific icebreakers surrounding preferred topics, whether it's like video games, uh, sports, movies, uh, YouTube videos that they ideally mm-hmm. come up with in order to identify common interests they have with a peer and also build their overall self-confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so those questions can be anything from the basics, like what's your favorite video game to something like, did you watch any movies last week? Do you like basketball? Um, I usually advise to avoid broader questions like, how are you? Which aren't like mm-hmm. bad, but they often don't lead anywhere for kids and teens um, mm-hmm. and even adults, frankly, um, yeah. compared to like the fun questions. Um, you can model and rehearse those with your child by having them practice asking you that question and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Then we can prompt them before they go to school or, or some kind of event uh, by saying something like, all right, all I want you to do is ask one friend that one question we practice. Let me know what they say. And that's it. You're off the hook. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of giving them a very concrete task almost, even though we don't want to frame it as a task. Um, come up with this fun question. You tell us what question you want to ask. And that's all you have to do. Uh, while in the back of our minds, we're kind of hoping like that kind of flourishes into a natural conversation. Yeah. Uh, but we're essentially trying to give uh, your child that script to use so that they, when they go to, uh, to school or some kind of social event, they can ask that question. And I'm hoping at least finding one peer who likes video games. Um, and I, cause I've heard so many times that all it took was finding one classmate who likes mm-hmm. Marvel or Fortnite or whatever. And it naturally mm-hmm. flourishes into that friendship. It's kind of that linchpin. And then once we get there, um, then we can, then your, our kids can come up with those questions on their own. Um, and it'll show them that they're uh, capable of talking to someone their age. Uh, it can be about a fun topic and it will hopefully show that peer or classmate that your child has that common interest. It associates your child with fun things as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot of great tips rolled into a quick little <laughs> two minute soundbite. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I love the idea of, of setting a small attainable goal, right? So it's like, just do this one thing and then, and then, mm-hmm. you know, as parents, you can build from there. But really the idea here is we're giving one small thing that they can do and then hopefully they achieve that. So then they're more motivated. So we go back to the motivation to actually interact with peers. Hopefully yeah. they go to a peer that that's wants to talk and is like, oh, wow, they share the same interests. Everyone's happy. And then we continue to grow that motivation and then they can continue to grow their skills. So, yeah. And there's a yeah. confidence builder too, right? They've yeah. practiced mm-hmm. it at home in a safe space. So they have kind of a plan in their back pocket. So mm-hmm. they're, they're motivated and they're, they're more comfortable. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Okay. Yeah, so going back to that reinforcing piece, like showing them that you can do this as cheesy as that sounds, if you're capable mm -hmm. of it and good things happen. You can talk to a buddy about something fun and doesn't have to be around homework or, or something mm -hmm. boring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So the next one that we have, and it goes off a little bit into a different direction, but I will tell you that I had this exact question this morning. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure many of our listeners are, are wanting to get some strategies here. So how do we help parents navigate their kids wanting to take the lead? So quite often we'll get a lot of parents who might say, well, my child really wants to be in charge of that play date. And, and if the, or even with siblings. And if that peer is not playing the way that they want to play, mm -hmm. then we get, you know, big meltdowns and we see like they're then maybe the, their, your child is shying away from social interaction because no one wants to play the way they want to play. So how do we help parents in this situation and, you know, really help them help their kids? Yeah, this is like the next level of social interactions. Once we have those conversations and we're going to get a peer over for a play date, uh, but it can get into the weeds sometimes, like you said, uh, sportsmanship and all that. Mm -hmm. um, I will, I'll start with like parents uh, through no fault of their own or your own uh, can sometimes mm -hmm. think that a play date needs to be this whole afternoon affair with like outings and all that. Uh, but I usually recommend, I mean, both for the sake of the kids and frankly, parent stress levels, I usually mm -hmm. recommend starting with like one-on-one -on -one structured play dates uh, with a peer that your, your childhood identified ideally. Um, mm -hmm. And by structured, I mean a play date that lasts like an hour or less, is at home, uh, consists of two to three activities and maybe a snack and that's it, call it a day. Better to have a short and sweet play date rather than a long and drawn out affair that potentially becomes a negative experience. Cause uh, I don't know if you've seen this as parents, but uh, I know from parents I've spoken to that sometimes the longer a play date goes, the more likely that the, the kids are going to get antsy, get tired, get stressed yeah. out. Um, mm -hmm. So the more we can cut it short, the less likely that that will happen. Um, and also keeps them wanting more, hopefully. Um, mm -hmm. But in, to cover our, all our bases, I, I'd recommend working with your child to create and write out a schedule of acti activities for the play date. It can include board games, arts and crafts, screen time, if it's appropriate. Um, you can also ask your child what activities they're not comfortable sharing with their peers so they can put them away oh, yeah, uh, in advance, kind of mm -hmm. putting them in charge. Um, and it can often be a nice addition to prompt your child to ask their peer what they'd like to play first when they mm -hmm. arrive to help them feel a little more welcome. Uh, but we're essentially trying to empower uh, your child to create that schedule so they can see that the play date is an opportunity for fun while also, also showing them how they can collaborate with their peer to make it a positive experience for, for mm -hmm. everyone. Uh, and then hopefully keep them again wanting more so we can schedule those weekly play dates or what have you. Mm -hmm. I love the idea. I think it's it's a it's a simple thing to do, but I don't know how many parents actually do this, which is empowering your kid to put away a couple special things up in the closet. You know that could alleviate a lot of potential drama mm -hmm. right <laughs> yes yeah, he's playing with my favorite lego creation right you know, okay. i just got that, that. yeah i don't want to yeah. share no yeah <laughs> but i think that gives like a really good what you described gives a good framework for parents on how to structure it make it easy i actually for my kids we typically i mean i i know this isn't going to be the case for everybody but we live in Southern California. So it, we can go to the park. We don't have to have someone over or go over to somebody else's house. It's a bit more of a neutral ground and you can mm -hmm. kind of leave when you need to leave. And you, you know, there's just less awkwardness, I think that way. And uh, when you go to a neutral yeah. spot. Yeah, that's what I, that's a great point. I think the way I view it is when our kids are having a hard time making friends, 
that structured mm -hmm. setting at home. It's a safe space. This is where we're going back to fortifying, fortifying that friendship, <laughs> and then yeah. basically graduating to the park playground, a theme park or what have you. So we're kind of focusing, honing in on those skills in that one-on-one -on -one structured setting. And then we can go to that unstructured setting so they can mm -hmm. you know, engage in those play mm -hmm. skills in a more natural way and less contrived. Cause it does sound a little like robotic. It can't uh, at, at, at the uh, beginning, but we want to mm -hmm. move them to the next level as they get more comfortable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do it in the comfort of their own home, and they mm -hmm. one less you know variable you can take out, like the anxiety right. piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, cool. Um, so moving on to our next question, parents are often often wondering how involved they should be during a play date, and maybe a second question tacked onto this is, what about when kids get older and parents are not necessarily uh, coordinating the play dates anymore? What, what does that look like? Yeah, that, 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 that cycle was a tough one with the teens. Yeah, I'll start with uh, in terms of how involved to get. It's a tough line of toe because we want to see uh, your child succeed while trying to make them independent. So uh, in the ideal world that we so definitely live in, you're setting up the play date, uh, you're doing the schedule, you're reviewing it with them, greeting the peer when they come over, and then hanging out in another part of the house until the play date is over. But realistically, especially when you're first starting to practice that skill, you'll likely need to have those periodic check-ins, mm -hmm. which should be more manageable, honestly, with the structured play date model. So if we have like an hour-ish play date and you're checking mm -hmm. in after each activity, that would mean you have eyes on your child every 15 minutes or so. Um, and not necessarily like coming in like, how are you? How's everything going? But just literally peeking in. Um, mm -hmm. And then if you see or hear that your child is having a hard time or even if the peer is having a hard time, to try to use language like, hey, can you come help me in the kitchen for one second? So you mm -hmm. can prompt them, give them some feedback um, outside of the play date setting. So it avoids giving them feedback in the moment in front of the peer, which can be stigmatizing and um, make uh, possibly escalate the situation. Mm -hmm. um, and also frankly can give them a break. Like this might be overwhelming, yeah. even if it's 20 minutes into a play date, let's go take a breather and then uh, phase back into the play date. Mm -hmm. um, for the teens, I mean, when I was leading social skills groups, when I, it was because I had my elementary school kids and then the middle and high school groups and play dates, uh, the play date term went away and then we went to <laughs> get togethers and hangouts. Even yeah. Though it was yeah. Um, uh, but in all likelihood, we're, uh, parents aren't going to be scheduling the get togethers and hangouts for the teens. However, that doesn't mean that parents can't use the script strategy I talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. While also using resources like texting as initial icebreaker before diving into the in-person interactions, every family has different comfort levels with, you know, screen time and phones and all that. But that mm -hmm. can often be, if you're comfortable with it, that kind of initiation. I know as, uh, you know, adults, when I get a text message, we respond, but someone's calling me like, why are you, why are you calling me? Can you just text me? <laughs> so for our teens, especially going through that phase, that screen can be like the, the safety spot. Like, I don't have to be face-to-face -face yet. Um, so aside from that, you can, uh, if you're comfortable, proactively schedule an event, let's say, and then ask your teen to invite some someone over for like a movie night, uh, while still having that mindset of pairing that experience with the positive, with positive activities, fun activities. So trying to work with your teen to facilitate that, you can ask them questions like, Hey, we want to invite someone over this weekend. Do you want to watch a movie with them? Or do you want to go out with them? So giving your teen that agency essentially is going to go a long way. So they don't see it as a demand. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, trying to collaborate with them. But it might take those baby steps, like using the script, but mm -hmm. in text form or uh, or in the classroom. Yeah, those are yeah. great. I could see those really being pretty pretty easy to implement. Yeah. 
This is one I get all the time because I feel like a lot of parents who are in maybe that tween age, mm-hmm. their kids are so used to those, those that aren't, I guess the children that aren't overly social, right? So they're used to their parents facilitating mm-hmm. all the play dates, all the interactions. And then at some point, parents are like, well, wait a second, like, I can't do this forever. I need you to take some initiative. And what does that look like? And how do I do that? And that's mm-hmm. like one of the big questions. And I think one thing that you said in there would be really helpful is have your child choose who's coming over, right? So the parent is saying we should have some sort of interaction here, but for the teen or the, the tween to take that take that on and, and who do they want to come over um, mm-hmm. might be one way to do that. And then something else that I actually recommend a lot to families is putting it on the calendar somewhere. So like you had said, Pasha, about just sending a quick text message or you know checking in, um, having some sort of goal for the month. One parent that I worked with, mm-hmm. we had a goal that was respond back to 50% of your group chat messages, right? That was the goal. Like, cause this, mm-hmm. this child would just, eh, you know, and ignore those group chats, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of adults might do that too. Um, but when they're in like that group chat, but, um, but in this case, we wanted this child to respond to those messages so that he wasn't then, you know, left out of all of the group stuff. So mm-hmm. just coming up with one goal, maybe for that child, um, or teen so that they feel more comfortable. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to steal that one, Kristen. Uh, I think <laughs> it's about like framing to them. I mean, it, that behaviorally speaking, that yeah. uh, negative reinforcement, taking out the the burden from them. So, okay, mm-hmm. this month, this week, whatever, we're going to send one text, ask that one question, respond to the chats, and then you're off the hook. Uh, with and our back of the minds, hoping that that one text is going to hopefully lead to more texts and conversations. Yeah. But mm-hmm. Just do this one thing, and then you're you're done. Um, then mm-hmm. you could do whatever you need will, will, will need to do within reason. But yeah, yeah, I like yeah. the idea of goal setting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So moving into the next question, which is, I guess, probably a little bit more appropriate to, to our teen population and exactly what we're talking about. But there are a lot of families who say that their child is more comfortable developing friendships and talking to peers through gaming. And maybe they're not as, as comfortable doing it in person. And so as parents, how do we know or how do we support this or or do we support this, right? So do we interject? Do we allow it? Where do where do we go with something like that? Oh yeah. Oh, oh the lovely, the lovely screen time and gaming. It's another tough one because online gaming isn't like kind of age typical and appropriate activity in some cases for like the preteens and, and teens. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, every family has different policies around uh, the screen times. Um, I, the screen is that again, safety net, because right when we get face to face, it can be intimidating. So pairing it with a preferred activity like playing video games can be the that balance. So um, but we want to make sure it is it, it equated with some kind of more uh, in-person or the interactions outside the context of gaming. So um, if we're primarily communicating with others via text, but we're capable, quote unquote, of interacting with others in person. Mm-hmm. So for our kids, we need to ask, mm-hmm. are they, ask ourselves, are they interacting with peers online, but also in person, or is it strictly online? And if it's the latter, then that's where we might need to facilitate more of those in-person interactions we talked about, maybe even centered around gaming. I know growing up, uh, what gaming meant coming over, plugging in multiple controllers, and we're playing side by side. That still exists, but not as much. Um, One other flag is to look for is if the peers they're interacting with online are actual people they know, or are they just online? If they're just online, that's 
okay to some extent. I mean, there's our, there are some uh, boundaries we want to set, but that's when we also want to facilitate those more in-person interactions or even online interactions with, with classmates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that final point is so important and I never really thought about that, but who are they interacting with online, right? Mm-hmm. And not in a way that's, that is scary, but in a way that's like, do they have the ability to then go back to school and talk about talk to that child about the games that they're playing online because yeah. they're they're facilitating a relationship online but also in person. So I think that that's that is interesting if if at least the ch- your child is maybe a little bit more timid to talk to people in person, right? They can mm-hmm. maybe start online gaming with some of the kids that are in their class and then hopefully that then leads into more interaction because now they mm-hmm. have something to talk about. Yeah, shared shared interests. Mm-hmm. Right. And it can be a tough, almost like a taboo subject that parents understandably get uncomfortable with. Like, I don't want to talk to my child about their Minecraft or Roblox or Fortnite or or what have you. Um, But trying to frame their friendships around that can help their get the buy in from your kids, essentially from your teens to see, okay, Mm -hmm. mom, dad, whoever are supportive of me gaming to a certain extent um, and want to see how I can make friends using gaming, not stop gaming and go make friends. So they're not mutually exclusive, even though one can hinder the other. Yeah. Well, that um, this actually gets us into our last question. We're already at the end. This has flown (laughs) by and it's been really helpful already. I think a lot of good tips here, uh, Pasha. So, how do we help our kids understand positive relationships versus those that may be more in the negative influence category? Yeah, and you re- referenced a great strategy earlier that I'll get into, mm-hmm. but it's so difficult when our kids finally start to have that level of peer interactions we're looking for. We had the conversations, we had the maybe play dates, hangouts and all that, but then those peers turn out to be either bullies or just not good matches, frankly. Um, there can be red flags, which I unfortunately hear, like teasing, bullying, even mm-hmm. financial exploitation, mm-hmm. um, even like targeted isolation, like your child or teen not being invited to inv- events on purpose, yeah. um, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So one way to approach it is exactly what we talked about earlier, is trying to have a proactive conversation of what c- characteristics a friend uh, can make up from, but also not to... Uh, in response uh, in re- uh, response to a specific friend, just outside the context, like, hey, let's just have this conversation. What comprises a friend? Mm-hmm. And also what comprises an, I don't want to say enemy, but an unfriend. Um, <laughs> or, or, not. or someone that you wouldn't want right. to hang out with, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Um, so whether or not you have a suspicion, it might just be a good practice regardless, mm-hmm. even if they have a great group of friends. Uh, mm-hmm. It's an opportunity for, to not only for you as a parent to model how you define friendships, but going back to empowerment, how your child can define friendships for themselves. So then if, hopefully not, but if they encounter a peer who might not be a good match or is a bully or negative influence, you can then refer back to that list of characteristics that they came up with and ask them, hey, is that something a friend would do or would Mm -hmm. say, rather than you just telling them that peer is not a good friend. Um, Trying to not vilify a peer, because also the the friends Mm -hmm. who might uh, or, or peers, I should say, who might be bullies or negative influences might be going through stuff on their own. So we want to mm-hmm. make sure not to stigmatize them while also protecting your child, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think, an- oh, sorry, Angie. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, go oh, ahead. Okay. I think another point to this is, you know, one thing that you're saying that I'm hearing is we want to help kids understand, like, who's what's a good friend, right? Mm-hmm. What does a good friend look like? But then I think another 
sidebar here that I'm thinking about is helping kids understand like core values of a person. So Mm -hmm. a lot of times we might have a child who says, or a teen who says, that person's the best. They're so awesome. They skip school every day. And, you know, and they think that this person is like their best friend, but their values Mm -hmm. don't really align. And, and I think a lot of times parents with, with older, you know, teenagers are, are thinking, well, how do I get you with all those positive influences? And we can't always I guess, choose our children's friends. But I think if we start even when they're a little bit younger of saying like, let's talk about our core values. We're honest, we're kind, you know, those types of things. And then that can help the children not only see, okay, this person's just mean to me, they're making fun of me, they're excluding me. But also this person, although they might be very nice to me, they don't have the same values as me and they're not going to get me very far. Yeah. That actually, that goes in nicely to what I was going to say too. I think when you're looking when you're teaching those sort of things, those are things that they can take into adulthood. Whereas mm-hmm. if you just say, don't play with that person, I don't want you to play with that person anymore. They're mean. That doesn't right. really teach them skills or teach them how to identify how to kind of make connections with positive people in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. And and if anything, I know just being a parent of two elementary school kids, um, parents can be kind of catty, right? So you can't control what your kid says for all, you know, your kid goes to school and says, my mom said you're terrible and I can never play with you again. And then you get a whole, uh, you know, other bag of worms, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> from the parents and stuff. And it gets awkward. So yeah, I, I think, uh, kind of going with the values, going with what makes good, a good friend really sets them up for success and he does on some sustainable things for the future. And also the more I've also seen more often than not, the more, let's say, confrontational parents are with who they your uh, child should and sh- or should not be hanging out with, the more mm-hmm. sometimes that especially the teens will go and say, you, I'm doubling down, I'm gonna hang out with yeah. my friends at person just to defy you. Totally. Um, not like in a malicious way, but like, wait, you, you don't like them, that means I'm gonna like them even more. Um, yeah, so they're just testing boundaries and limits. Collaboration. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been really, really helpful. Uh, So definitely thank you, Pasha, for being here. I've learned a lot. I I know all of our listeners have too. So thanks so much for coming. My pleasure. Yeah, I hope that was helpful. Some some overall uh, tips and and also getting into the weeds a little bit of why uh, behaviorally our kids uh, engage in these social uh, and social situations. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for today. Thank you everyone for joining us on our 30th episode of Behaviorally Speaking. On our next episode, we will continue to discuss social skills. We'll talk about how to help kids navigate social challenges. Until then, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. You've been listening to Behaviorally Speaking with Angela Nelson and Kristen Bondi, brought to you by Rethink Care. Find out more at RethinkCare.com. You can find past podcast episodes under the resources tab. We also invite you to subscribe, follow, like, and leave us feedback wherever you listen to podcasts. Your feedback helps us prepare topics and content for future episodes. Until next time, have a great day.